you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Colossians 3 for one last time um, as a part of um, what has been just a three-week study uh, so far. Um, it will be a three-week study through um, kind of the high marks of Colossians. I love this letter. I've enjoyed teaching through just kind of in brevity um, this letter. I'm sure we'll come back to it sometime in the future, but um, if you want to find your place there in Colossians 3, we'll read it in just a minute. Um, I want to ask you, though, do you ever think about the future? Of course you do, right? You think about it every day when you're getting up, you wake out, get out of bed, you wake up, and you drink some coffee, and you think, I wonder what the future is going to be like, right? And if you thought about it the day before, the next day you're living it, right? Uh, but, you know, we think about future, we don't think about tomorrow, we think about kind of far-flung future, right? Um, and you know, normally when we think about the future, uh, we think about what it will be like, right? You know, I wonder if that will be different. I wonder if they will be different. I wonder if that place will still be there. I wonder, you know, just what new and fresh way things will, will kind of operate uh, like and, and, and be like. You know, back in the day, not to insult anybody who may have lived back in the day, but back in the day, um, I'm pretty sure when people thought about 2019, you know, when you thought about, I wonder what the future is going to be like in 2020, most people thought um, Jetsons, right? Um, right? And, uh, you know, look, look at how far we've come, right? Um, you know, everybody thought that we'd be flying around, you know, buildings that are just high in the sky for really no reason at all, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, really, buildings are taller, right? So we made it that far. Um, there are robots, um, but we still aren't flying around in cars, right? We're just going to get rid of cars altogether, right? We're just going to bypass the flying car part. Um, but uh, at least there's planes, so we got that part. But we, uh, the Jetsons really didn't tell us what the future was going to be like after all, at least not yet. Um, but we usually don't give much thought to what will be like in the future, though, do we? Right? We think about what, it, what the future will be like for this and that, but we don't often think about what will be like in the future. And, and, and I don't mean older. Of course, you'll be older. And I don't mean smarter. I hope you're smarter. I hope you don't, uh, you know, uh, go the other way. I don't mean, you know, you'll have more money or, or more stuff or be better off and have a bigger home or a bigger family or new friends. I mean, you know, all that stuff might be true, but usually we don't give much thought to the kind of person that will be in the future. You know, I think we don't ever give much thought to this because most of us just assume we'll be the same, right? I mean, you hope that your husband changes in the future, right? I can say that because I'm picking on men, right? You hope that they change in the future, but you don't really think about yourself changing, do you? And maybe it's because you don't want to change. Maybe it's because you think you're perfect, right? Of course you do, um, right? Maybe it's because you're convinced you can't change, and maybe you're just comfortable the way that you are. And, and I think we assume that everything will change for the better, but we usually don't anticipate much change for our Selves. And I just want to hang this question over our heads before we read the text and before we get deeper into the message. I want to hang this question over our heads for you to think about for a little bit. And uh, hopefully you won't, well, I'll remind you at the end. So if you forgot it, you'll remember it again. I want to ask you, do you ever think, and maybe you should think, and hopefully for a little bit this morning you will think, what will you be like in the future? And maybe you already know. Maybe you'll be better. I hope so. Maybe you'll be worse and you're anticipating that. I hope not. Maybe you'll stay the same, and I honestly hope that isn't true either. Who knows what you'll be like in the future, but one day, one day you'll, you will know, won't you? Because one day you will get to the future, and you'll know what you will be like. But wouldn't it help if we thought about it before we got there? Because what if we could become a version of ourselves that we all want to be, but unless we make a very important decision, 
unless we make a few very important decisions. We might not ever become that person. So with all that in mind, to hang that kind of heavy question over our heads, I want to read Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through uh, 17. Uh, we'll unpack these as we go throughout the time. And I think this text is going to say a lot to us this morning. So Colossians 3 verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idultery. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and put on the new man, who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, or the chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness and humility, meekness and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You know, a few weeks ago, when I first opened up to Colossians to study for these messages, um, I, it was almost like I was looking into a mirror as I began to study the Colossian community and the people and get to know the people. Because what I learned and what we've learned is that the Colossian people were a people just like us. They struggled with all the stuff that we struggle with. If you have struggled with it, they struggled with it. You name it, they knew about it. Um, insecurity, comparison, fear, frustrations, anger, anxiety, and so much more. They were people that felt denied or defined by these things that we all have struggled with. They felt owned by these things. While the world around them seemed to not care about what they were going through, while the world around them seemed to be doing just fine, they felt like they could not move forward. Roman propaganda from the empire would have had everyone believe that there was ample promised prosperity and peace for everybody. But the people in, the, people in small cities like Colossae, people in, in the city of Colossae, this idea of Pax Romana, this idea of Roman peace and prosperity was just a tease. It was a reality that only few had experienced. They only could dream about it. After suffering many setbacks, economic downturns, natural disasters, change in industry, Colossae was left behind and continually fell behind. Rome provided no aid, no kickstarters, no relief or no funding. Colossae and its people accepted the role as the black sheep of the Roman Empire. The gods didn't care. The politicians didn't care. Their neighbors didn't care. 
Colossae had went through extreme circumstances. They were facing extreme uphill battles. They drifted into a pretty dark place. And the community accepted and sank deeper and deeper in a mire where they felt insignificant, incomplete, completely forsaken by everybody. This letter we hold in our hands, this letter in our Bibles, was written to the Colossians to speak to what they were going through with the full intent of getting them through it, to give them a better future. But the beauty of Scripture, the beauty of God's Word, it's living and dynamic, and God is breathing through these words and off of these pages today to speak this same message to your heart. And somebody particularly needs to hear this same message that made a difference in their lives. If you're feeling insignificant, if you're struggling with emptiness or incompleteness, if you feel forsaken or forgotten, this text can make a difference for you. Jesus can make a difference for you. Paul came at the Colossians with a very basic and simple idea at first. He wrote that there was one God in heaven who created them and had not abandoned them. This one God became a man and went to a corner of the world much like Colossae that had been forgotten and left behind by the rest of society. And he lived out a life that redefined God for his generation and would go on to redefine God for all generations and all nations and all people groups. This is where Paul begins with the Colossians. He tells them, I know I'm not going to answer all of your questions in one conversation, but I want you to know there is a God in heaven that has sent His Son to speak directly to the things that you are struggling under to break you free from them. You name it, He will be there with you through it. Whatever you struggle under, whatever you are bound by and feel trapped by, the condition of this world, Jesus has come to take on that same feeling, that same label, that same burden of insignificance and emptiness and forsakenness. He was rejected and He was crucified by His own people, but it was all part of God's plan. Because in the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus showed the whole world why He had come to do what He did. To bring us all to God. To bring God to all of us. To replace insignificance with value. To replace emptiness with purpose. To replace forsaken with favor. Paul wrote to the Colossians to make it loud and clear that God wants us to know Him as Father. And He wants to adopt us into His family. We can learn a lot based on this revelation that God wants wants us to know Him. God wants to be our Father. In our Father's house. In the family of God. There is a sense of belonging like none other. There is a space for dwelling that you will not find anywhere else. We are redefined as God's child. We are reborn with passion and with purpose. God encourages us and delights us in finding our true self in Him, becoming who we were always meant to be, created to be. He gives us passion as He inspires us to move forward. He gives us purpose as He directs us where to go. We can rest and rejoice around the promise that we learned last week. That I am found. I am free. My Father favors me. 
And nothing will ever undo, nothing will ever overrule this new identity. All of your sins, all of the enemy's accusations against you, they have been nailed to a cross and they have been left in a grave. You are not defined by those things anymore. Paul told the Colossians, you are not held back by those things anymore. You can be free from those things because your Father favors you. He frees you. We are free to be who the Father created us to be. To look forward to a future where we are the best, trademark as in God has a best version of you in mind. Do you believe that? That God created you fearfully and wonderfully as He intended. Sin came in and messed that up, right? Sin came in and, and took away what we, with that connection with God that we were born to have. Sin comes into us as we enter this world and separates us from God. But God still intends on you to become that version that He always dreamed about, right? That version of you that He, has, he enables us to become and wills us to become. God has that in mind and God wants to lead us to that place. And only through Jesus can we become this best version of ourselves. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love that other version of you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you wherever you are, wherever you are in your journey, in your walk through life. Jesus died for the very worst version of you, right? He defined His love for you in that He died for us while we were still sinning, right? But as a good father, He wants to see us become who we were always made to be. The best version of ourselves. Colossians 2 tells us that we should not let anybody disqualify or discredit us because what we have from God is genuine and can truly make a gigantic difference in our lives. Again, insignificance has been replaced with value, incompleteness with purpose, forsaken with favor. God has given mercy to the guilty. So if you're guilty today, God says, I want to take that guilt away and I want to replace it with mercy. Mercy says, hey, guilt can be put off and you can have another chance. God says, if you feel shameful today, if you feel like you are set back by your past, I want to give you grace and set you forward. So if you feel guilty, God says, I've got mercy for you. If you feel shameful, God has grace for you. If you're afraid, if, you're, if you are fearful, God says, I want to give you faith to get back up and take another step forward because shame and guilt and fear will not define you, but rather with mercy and grace and faith, you can become somebody new. Now here's the thing. For a lot of us, that's what brought us to Jesus, isn't it? That promise, that excitement, that wow, you mean I can be forgiven? You mean I can pray this prayer and go, you know, go forward and I can make this public you know, pro proclamation that I want to follow Jesus and in the moment, in the energy, in the excitement, in the emotion, we go and we have that experience. For a lot of us, that's what got us here, right? That's why you're here. But isn't it true that you don't always feel as good as you did maybe when you first came to Christ? You don't always have that same sense of belonging and that same feeling of excitement. I mean, you know that all this stuff is still true. I mean, you know that God loves you and has grace and mercy and peace for you. But even if you know it's true, we don't always feel like it's true. And because we don't always feel like it, we don't always live it out, right? Does that land with anybody? Did anybody hear me on that, right? That you, you felt it before, but you don't, it doesn't always stay with you? And sometimes when the song is right, and the sermon is right, and the service is great, you get back there, but you get away from it pretty quick, don't you? 
And let a bad day at work happen or a bad day at home happen, right? And you feel as far away as that as you could ever be. And you almost feel worse because you know it doesn't have to be that way. And some holy person walks up to you and says, Well, brother, do you not realize you don't have to be that way? Of course you know you don't have to be that way. You just can't seem to get out of it, right? We know salvation promises. But we don't feel or experience them. Always do we. We know that God has value and purpose and favor for you. We know that mercy and grace and faith are greater. We know, we know, we know, you know, you know, you know, but you don't always feel it, do you? And when you don't feel it, it just kind of bums you out, doesn't it? And sometimes in these environments, you get a little bit of it, but you just kind of leave more bum because it doesn't last. For so many, for so many of you, I'm sure for me, for all of us, honestly, we constantly are waiting for a wave to pick us up and carry us just a little farther. But if we know this is true, don't we have something better than a wave? I mean, isn't there something better than a, temp- than a little temporary limited boost? And thankfully, Paul didn't let the Colossians take the goods of chapter 1 and 2 and realize that knowing wouldn't prevent any further struggle. Paul addresses this very thing that we have faced and will face in this chapter we've read. He comes at us regarding the nature of our salvation and our faith. And some of the things we're going to talk about may at first rub you the wrong way. They may fly in the face of the things you've been taught or the things that you believe. But take it from Paul, not from me. This might be the most important conversation we've ever had. Especially when it comes to what we believe and what it means and what it should mean for our everyday life and for our future. And know this, Paul has spent the first two chapters with a big hammer and plenty of nails building a foundation that emphasizes and punctuates that we are secure in Christ. This is not meant to make us doubt. This is not meant to make us feel insecure. He's made it very clear to us that adoption is forever based on what God has done and not what we do. Paul doesn't want anybody to doubt or feel insecure regarding where they stand with God. He told us that we are complete in Christ because of what Jesus did alone. Christ is enough and always will be enough. We don't have to wonder where we stand even if we wander. I make a point to highlight that because the way Paul opens up chapter 3 may seem like he's trying to poke a little hole in our faith or in our profession. As if he's shifting the focus from what Christ does to what we must do. And if it seems that way, it's because it kind of is that way. But I want to say this. This isn't about shifting salvation out of God's hands into our hands. It's about bringing salvation from God's heart to our hearts. And that trans- this is not about transferring the weight of being saved. It's about transferring the power that comes along with being saved. It's about what salvation does for us and does through us. It's about how salvation makes a difference It makes us different. And if there is no difference, if there is no difference, we know that Jesus isn't the problem. We know that salvation wasn't unsuccessful. Right? I mean, so if something's not working, we know Jesus isn't the problem. Right? I mean, mean, you know, I'm not being a smart aleck to us. (laughs) But we know that salvation works. So when it's not working for us, what's the problem? 
So that means we need to have this conversation all the more, doesn't it? We need to open up to this conversation and not be defensive or uncooperative because here's the thing. If we're not taking advantage of the greatest gift, if we're not living our best life and building towards a better one as salvation enables, what are we doing? Hello? I mean, if we have been given the greatest gift that you could ever receive... That's Jesus. Salvation, right? God in our hearts. If we have been given the greatest gift ever and we're not living our best life and building towards an even better one, what are we doing? I don't know. Right? That's how I respond to that. And I'm not talking, I'm, I wasn't mocking anybody. That's how I respond when somebody gets in my face about that kind of stuff. Again, look at verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Notice this passage does not try to undermine our faith or judge us. It actually confirms that if we believe, we are indeed saved, but it also challenges our faith to chase a better future. Does that make sense? Paul says, okay, if you believe, you're saved, but hey, if you've got faith, let's talk about where you're going. Because faith doesn't stand still. Faith is striving towards something better. And I want to make sure that we're all on board. And don't you want to be on board? Of course, right? Let's break this down. Colossians 3 verse 1 is a classic conditional statement. If X has happened, then Y should happen. This isn't legalism. This isn't rule keeping. This is cause and effect. Natural progression of a saved person. If you have been raised with Christ, then you should seek the things which are above. If you have been raised with Jesus, something's going to happen, right? Something can happen for your good. So why wouldn't you want it to happen? A couple of big ideas coming at you, so buckle up. Make sure you're paying attention. Notice, most importantly, it's not raised like. It's not raised in the spirit of, what is the words? Raised with. That means whatever Jesus did when He raised from the dead, that same power, that same Spirit, we are attached to it. It is attached to us. He is with us. So this is not just, okay, it's kind of like that. No, no, no. It is like that. Get what, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. When we were dead in, tr- in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places. So in God's eyes, we're as good as in heaven. So this isn't about, hey, you better do this or you're not going to make it. This is, you've already made it. You're in, you're as good as on the throne with Jesus. I mean, hey, it's our, your place is already secure. In heavenly places with Christ so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace. Now, Paul didn't have to use the word immeasurable if he didn't mean it. So that means you can't even measure what God wants to do through you. I mean, as a Christian, this is what it's saying. As a Christian, we have access to and are in the presence of extraordinary spiritual power. So that should make a difference, shouldn't it? It can make a difference. And why, my goodness, I want it to make a difference, don't you? I mean... 
Your future, our future, is in heaven. Our present life should reflect heaven and resemble Jesus. And there's no way that goes bad for anybody. So if it can reflect heaven and resemble Jesus, I mean, I want to raise my hand and say, I want that. Here's the crux of this. Salvation is not static. It's dynamic, sovereign, moving, and willing us forward. Salvation literally means to make whole, to make complete. A couple of things we need to talk about here. Salvation, I think often we talk about it like it's something that happened to us a long time ago. Isn't it true? And listen closely. Salvation should never be confined to just a memory. I'm not saying it isn't a good memory, and it's not a good story to tell. But if salvation to you is just about a memory, let's put the, we got to pump the brakes. Salvation should be most appreciated and applied in the moment, as in right now, not in our memories. So, you know, so what am I saying? If your faith is based on a foggy memory and not a current reality, if your faith is only rooted and only evident in your past, as in something happened a long time ago and it was great, but if that's the only root, if that's the only evidence for something changing about your life, if your faith is only rooted and only evident based on something that happened a long time ago, not something that is happening right now. Salvation is better than that. Say it again. Salvation is better than that. As in, I'm glad it was good back then, but it can be just as good. It can be better and it is better right now. Listen, this text is not to undermine our conversions. It's to maximize who we can be in Christ. To keep salvation from becoming a one-time experience that was great, but hasn't made much of a difference since. Come on, how many of you know people that made a profession and you've never seen them again? How many of you have children and grandchildren who you led them to Jesus, but they've never did anything since then? How many of you know had an awesome conversion experience, but you've just kind of been riding the waves ever since, and you want more than that? I hope you want more. So if salvation is just a story that we tell in our lifestyle that we live. Paul is challenging us with this. He's saying, I'm not fussing at you. I'm just saying, uh, trying to free you from the experience, uh, free you to experience what salvation is really and truly about. He's saying, do you realize what you've allowed salvation in Jesus to become, if that's true for you? It's become just a relic, just a trinket, just a ticket, just a certificate on the wall. And come on. I'm glad you got the certificate, but it's bigger and better than that, isn't it? Paul says, I don't want to hear about this day and that day and that sermon and that prayer if you're not also going to talk about today. And the emotions that you're harnessing and the walls that you're climbing and the mountains that you're moving. Because if you got saved and it was great then, it's better now. Because the power that moved mountains then, it's still moving and it's still rolling and it wants to do something in your life right now. And if you're resting on a certificate, if you're resting on something that happened so long ago, you can barely remember it. Paul says, come on. You've allowed the devil to convince you that Jesus is just a religion. 
and you've got your ticket and you're good. And God is faithful. He's not going to cast you out. But he wants you to experience the true resurrection life. He says, save the memories for photo albums. I want to talk about it right now. I mean, absolutely. Salvation is about resting in Jesus' finished work, but it's also about being resurrected with Jesus and forever living in His power. People tell people ask me, you know, talk about when you got saved. Well, I, I, I tell them, listen, I'm glad I am. I want you to know, based on how I'm living right now and based on my enthusiasm and excitement for Jesus right now, I don't want you to have to ask me, are you saved? I want you to have to ask me, hey, I want what you got. Because my story doesn't do anything for you if I'm not still living in the power of that story. Paul's point is, so often we talk about the salvation as something in our past, but salvation should be in our present. Right? I'm saying this for two reasons. Number one, if all salvation is to us is something that happened a long time ago, it's better than that. It didn't stay back there. It's right here, right now, and it's better today than it was then. And I'm saying number two, if there's no connection between then and now, if there's no connection between what happened then and what happened now, then it's okay to forget about then and talk about now. And maybe what you got then was a little religion, but I got good news. You can have a major resurrection today. And I, I, you're going to hurt anybody's feelings if you tell somebody, hey, that wasn't real. That was just something I went through and I did it because somebody made me do it. But hey, I got a little religion back then, but now I have access to a major resurrection. This is not about doubting. It's about doing the, allowing the power of salvation to do its work through us. God forbid any version of Christianity that make us comfortable with our memories that don't translate to the moment that we live in right now. God, help us if we miss out on what salvation is really about. Paul says, resurrected hearts reach higher. They look to what's next. The words in Greek, you have been raised, are one word in Greek. The tense suggests something that started, but is still in effect. It's like this. A faucet was turned on, hooked up to an unlimited supply of water. And if you found that faucet to this day, it would still be running. Hello? That when you got saved, a faucet was turned on. And if you could go back to where the spiritual side of things, that same faucet is still running. It didn't just get you wet one time, right? And then tell you to go ahead and have a good day. Or, hey, stay a little religious and you'll be okay. You have been immersed in the power of God ever since. Amen. You know, I have proof of that. Revelation 22 says we're going to get a view of that fountain one day. The angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. So John got to heaven. He's like, wow, that's the source. By gosh, he told the truth. It'll never run out. Jesus at the end of that. Spear and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price and without shame. You don't have to be ashamed to say, come, come to God and say, God, I, I believed in you all my life, but you know what? I've just been dead for a while. You know, and if anybody asked me to, to tell them ABCs of salvation and John 3.16 and anybody told me to name my favorite hymn, my favorite song, I could do all that stuff. I never miss church and I always, always do the right thing. But I just feel dead. I'm not making a difference. 
I'm not getting this sin out of my life and this thing right. I'm not being the better person that I could be. I want to get that. The verb seek is in the present tense. And it's in the imperative voice, as in it's something that we are called to do, commanded to do. As in this hasn't been done to us, but these words are connected. Have been raised is causing us to seek. There's no way to separate these two things. So if you have been raised with Christ, you are seeking or something inside of you is wanting so bad to seek first the kingdom of God. And if you're suppressing that, God wants to help you today. If your flesh and your sin is suppressing that, God wants to break that chain today. Now here's the thing. There is no risk of being unresurrected. God didn't say, hey, if you don't do this, you know, I'm watching my one, two, three, three strikes, you're out. God doesn't do that. God's a good father. He never kicks anybody out of the house. If you jump out the window, he'll let you back in, right? If you run away and wallow with the pigs, he'll let you back in, right? We have proof. He's better than me. He's better than you. I wouldn't do that, but he would. <laughs> I'd let y'all back in, but not everybody. God knows a lot better than me, Right? He's saying there is no way to be resurrected and not seek. Something has been done to us is causing us to do something. And we haven't even talked about the punchline of this. Christ is at the right hand of God. You know what that means? He is at the power source of God. Ready to dispense that power to you and to me. Think of it as a lever. And when you come to him and say, God, I'm just running on empty. I'm just, I'm just low. I'm just out. I'm dead. He says, hey, I've got the power right here, right? I've got the lever. All you got to do is ask. The right hand of God reaches down and does, reaches down to do through us and in us what we cannot do in and of, in and of ourselves and won't be able to do unless he gives it to us. Waters can part, lions can be tamed, giants can fall, debts can be canceled, people can be forgiven, mountains can be moved, and tombs can be emptied. You believe that? I, I still believe that, right? And I believe that the things in your personal life that nobody knows about, the things in your family, the things that you worry about and fear that are going to overwhelm you one day, God can help you. Your future doesn't have to have the same burdens and problems. I know you never think about this, but even if you like the way you are right now, I know there's some stuff in secret. There's some stuff about you that you try to hide. You try to mask. You try to fix yourself. You try to bury them. You're ashamed of them. And you want to know if there's a way out. And you get emotional when people talk about salvation changing them because it used to change you, but it hasn't in a long time. What if there was a way to overcome these things? Verse 2 says, if we set our minds on things above, not on things of earth. That's the first step. Set our minds, our affections on what's above, not on things of earth. Setting our minds on what's above is not signified by how successful we are how rich, how pretty, how smart, how healthy. Setting our minds on things above shows up in a different way. Earthly accomplishments don't reflect heavenly standards, but heaven's standards are reflected by our earthly affections, our attitudes, and our actions. All of this is explained in the passage that we read after this. 
where Paul contrasts earthly affections and attitudes and actions with heavenly ones. If you go down from verse 5 all the way to verse number uh, 14, we see Paul is contrasting things that are of the earth, sinful immorality, right? Things that we say, things that we think, think, emotions that we let get the most of us. He goes through that list from verses 5 to verse number 10, and he says, put on the new man that is not bound by earthly labels or earthly parameters, but is elect by God. And he goes down and hits these amazing uh, uh, attributes of what a true Christian should be like. Full of love and full of compassion. Full of peace. Patient and humble. Kind. And meek. You should bookmark that and go back to it later and memorize it. Things we once saw identity in and pleasure from are no longer desirable, no longer empowering. We see the damage that they did to us, the damage they did to others, the damage they did to the kingdom. Why take from others? Why hurt others? Why use others? Why let our emotions get the best of us? Only to bring out the worst of us. Why bow to emotions that will only break us in others as well? You know what these emotions have in common? You know what these affections and sins all have in common. That lust you struggle with, greed, anger, jealousy, anxiety, fear. You know what drives those affections and why they don't want to let go of you? I call them anti-resurrection affections. They want you to see the world through defeated eyes. They want you to be bitter. They want you to see that there is no future. They want you to think now is all you get. Because if they can keep you looking at the world that way, then they will never let go of you. And you always got to take more and, do, and, and try to hold on to more. You'll always fear defeat and loss and death. And you'll cling and you'll covet and you'll scrape and you'll claw and you'll grasp and you'll gri- grip. The resurrection changes us. It shows us that it's okay to have an open hand. We don't lose when we forgive. We don't lose when we give. We don't lose when others succeed in our place. The resurrection captures the virtue that the old proverb And the Old Testament says, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls striving after the wind. 1 Timber 12 says that we should put on this new nature. That means it's available. You can't put on something that's not in your closet, right? And ladies, you look in your closet and say, I just don't have anything to wear, right? I do that too, so I'm there with you. That's why I keep buying blue shirts. (laughs) God says, put it on. That means it's available. God has a choice outfit for you. And you already own it. He's not asking you to do anything that He won't already enable that will be for everybody's best interest. The pathway to this place is found as verse 15 and 16 summarizes this section for us. If we will let the peace of God rule and let the Word of Christ dwell... The peace of Rome wasn't doing much for Colossae. The emperor's word was not changing them at all. Paul says, trust in Christ's rule. Trust in His word. Find comfort and security in Him and your affections will naturally turn toward Him. He told us back in verse 3, we have died. Our life is now hidden in Christ. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Consider that old stuff as part of your past because it has passed away. Your true life is now found in Jesus. Salvation is calling you. 
to your true, new, best self in Christ. When Christ in our lives appears, that suggests that Christ is going to become more and more evident in a Christian's life to the point as they grow and until they reach heaven. I asked you earlier if you ever thought about the future. Paul seems to be suggesting here that a Christian is going to become more and more visible. Or Christ is going to become more and more visible in a Christian's life with each new day. Is that true for you? Is Christ becoming more visible in your life? Are you becoming more like Him every day? We often like to reminisce, but maybe it's time to look forward and talk about where we're going. Our glory days are not behind us. Our best days are not already spent. Today is the most important day of your life. And tomorrow will be hereafter. And what if it's your last? Paul says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear. When your life on earth disappears, will it be obvious that you have appeared with Christ in glory? I know this is a heavy question, but questions that we need to consider. All this came to a conclusion, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you say, make sure you can do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving Him honor, giving Him glory. Does that describe your way of life? If not, why not? Have you found a better goal? And if you're not living for the glory of Jesus in all things, I've got to ask, how's that working for you? I bet not so good. I know the other masters are out there to serve. They don't reward. They only take. They don't comfort. They only complain. That's why you're stressed, isn't it? That's why you're strung out, overwhelmed, exhausted, anxious, frustrated, constantly comparing yourself to him or to her, and you're always trying to outdo them or pass them. You serve master after master that never so much as asks, or never so much as says thank you, that doesn't value you or replenish what you pour out. You spend your days pouring out for somebody, pouring into something. And for many of you, you've spent a lot of your days so far doing this, haven't you? Your future doesn't have to be the same because you know a better way. There is eternal payoff found in only one place, only in one person, and that's Jesus. Pouring ourselves out for and pouring into this world will only make us a worse version of ourselves. But know this. Jesus pours into us. He replenishes, restores, raises us up, and makes us the best version of ourselves. Every other well, every other pool, it will run dry. It never fulfills, never completes. Heaven above is filled with people who know this, and if they could shout down today, they would say, what's up here is accessible down there. Don't miss it. Surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, we should lay aside every weight and every sin and run our race looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You've heard of the K-Love Challenge or the 1069 Challenge. Listen to this radio station for 30 days. What if you took the Colossians Challenge and looked at these 17 verses and say, God, I want to see this in my life. I want to follow this. I want to set my affection on you. As God has adopted us, for his heavenly home, may we adopt God's standards for our earthly journey. You'll feel more complete if you seek above first. Place Jesus at the center. 
Maybe you want to start fresh today and start a new walk with Jesus. Maybe you've clung to old memories for too long. Maybe you want to renew or rededicate your walk with God. Perhaps you've never lived for Jesus. You don't live for Jesus. You want to be, if you want to be honest with yourselves, Jesus has been someone you've checked in with at times, but you know there's more to it. And I promise you there is. There's a resurrection waiting for you. And if you want it, if you want it, all you got to do is ask for it. Come for it. He's waiting for you. God is not waiting for you to bring Him your best. He has given us His best so that we can realize ours. So maybe somebody today, maybe you just want to come forward and as Trey's going to sing a song for us, maybe you just want to come forward and say, God, I want, to, I want your best. I want to be that person that I know you've made me to be. I, I know I'm saved. I, 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 want to know, I want to know what it's like to feel that every day. I want to have that spirit and that power upon me all, to, all the time. I mean, maybe you've never took a step out. Maybe you've never said, God, I, I'm a sinner. I, I'm lost. I'm confused. I've been walking around looking for this and that in this world, and I can't find it. Maybe you want to be honest with yourself and say, God, I've never been saved. I've never trusted in Jesus as my Savior. But I hear you, and I'm coming for you. And God says, I'm waiting for you.